of all of the concepts of the Bible, one of the most important for you to understand and apply to your, your life is that of God's grace, the grace of God. And if you, if you don't understand God's grace, you don't understand the gospel because the, gr- the grace of God is at the core of the gospel. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. The ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, not only are we saved by grace, but we, we also grow in grace. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us. God's grace motivates us to serve him, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. His grace sustains us when we go through trials in our life, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. When we are needy, we are invited to come to God's throne of grace in order to receive mercy and to find grace to help us in our times of needs, the writer of Hebrews chapter 4 tells us. And so we are to, we are to fix our, our hope completely on the grace to be brought to us when Jesus Christ returns, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1. So the very last verse of the Bible then in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 21 says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The very last thing that the Bible talks about is the grace of God. Now, because God's grace is is such a vital concept, it's not surprising that our enemy, the enemy of our soul, Satan, he works overtime to subvert God's grace by spreading error and confusion about the true nature of grace. Every false religion on the earth promotes salvation either totally by human works or by some mixture of God's grace in human works, which is error also. Among God's people who have been saved by his grace, the enemy promotes confusion about how we are to live the Christian life apart from God's grace. So some some people in our society today, some religions in our society today, will promote uh, holiness through legalism. In other words, things that we are, are to, to put on on the outside. You, you've got to, I remember the day that they said your hair has to be above your ears. I went to a school like that, that uh, they would, uh, you know, make us go get our hair cut before we could go to class. Um, you had to have a suit and tie on. You couldn't, you couldn't be on the platform unless you had a suit and tie on. You couldn't, you couldn't usher unless you had a suit and tie on. Ladies had to wear dresses. Um, I mean, no facial hair. And the list could go on and on and on about all of the legal things that would bring holiness, which only fosters the most pervasive of sin, namely pride. It's all about pride. Others turn the grace of God into licentiousness thus denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ, Jude 4. 
So the theme now, as we move into 2 Timothy chapter 2, the theme actually for verses 1 through 13 is fruitful Christian service. That's the theme of those, all of those verses. Timothy, as we saw in chapter 1, was prone to shrink back from, um, from exercising his spiritual gifts because of shyness. Or, or because of fear of controversy, what people might say, what people, people would, would uh, deny or things like that. Now, three times Paul exhorted Timothy, either directly or indirectly, by example, not to be ashamed of the gospel and not to be ashamed of Paul, who was a prisoner because of the gospel. We saw that in verse 8, chapter 1, in verse 12, chapter 1, and verse 16, chapter 1. And so now as we get to chapter 2, and, and we look here at chapter 2 and verses 1 to 7, which is where we will spend our time today uh, looking, and looking at these seven verses, Paul encourages Timothy to exercise his gift so that to be a faithful Christian. He says, to be a faithful Christian, there's a person that you must be strong in grace, verse 1. There is a task that you must do. Entrust the gospel to faithful men who will teach others also. Chapter 2 and verse 2. And there is a price that you must pay, and that is suffer hardship. Verses 3 to 7. He uses three examples of those who suffer hardship for, for the greater goal. He talks to us about a soldier in verses 3 and 4, an athlete in verse 5, and the farmer in verse 7. And then in verse 8 down through verse 13, which we'll look at next week, Lord willing, he gives three more examples how, how present suffering leads to future glory. Jesus Christ risen from the dead in verse 8. Paul's suffering so that God's elect will obtain eternal glory in verses 9 and 10, and an ancient Christian hymn which teaches the endurance, uh, that endurance results in reward, and we, we'll see that in verses 11 to 13 next week. So we all want to be able to persevere in our Christian life. In other words, we all want to keep moving forward, Right? We want to keep on keeping on. We want to keep living our life for God. We want other people to be able to see Jesus Christ in our life. And so we can say then with Paul in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy in verses 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's what we're striving for, to finish well, faithful to the finish line. Now we preach through chapter 1, a chapter largely about just that, being faithful and being loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ in our life and everything that we do, we are loyal to Christ. And so Paul has just mentioned here at the end of the chapter some who had not been faithful, some who had not been loyal, and he called a couple of them out by name. Last week we saw this. He mentions in verse 15 uh, two guys who were unfaithful, Phygilus and then Hermogenes. 
they weren't faithful men. And then he mentions a guy who had been faithful there in verse 16, a guy named Onesiphorus, a guy who was an encourager, who was not ashamed of Paul's change, change that he was in, was not ashamed to be associated with Paul, who is in a dungeon prison in Rome. And so all, all of that is in Paul's mind as he begins chapter 2 here with the word, therefore. You notice that he says in, in verse 1, chapter 2, you therefore. Now, immediately in my mind, what I want to know is what is the therefore, therefore? I mean, really, that's what it's all. What's the there? Anytime you see therefore, you got to think, what is therefore, therefore? What is the reason for that? What's he talking about? So you got to go backwards a little bit in your Bible reading, your studying, and it reaches back to what Paul had just said. So, Timothy, therefore, in light of this, don't be unfaithful like uh, Phygelus and like Homogenes, but be like Anesiphorus. Be faithful to the finish line. Now, with that as an introduction to chapter 2, let's look at our text, verse two, 1 down through verse 7. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes uh, in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. So, what picture or metaphor would you describe use to describe the Christian life? What picture? Given, given that living out our Christian faith is often difficult and enduring to be faithful to Jesus Christ can often be sort of rough and, and, and tumbling journey, what image? would you use to describe that journey that we're in? Well, Paul picked three ways to illustrate living out the Christian life in these verses. He says the Christian life is like being a soldier. Then he says it is like being an athlete. And then he says being a Christian is like being a hardworking farmer. And all three of these ways, Paul points, point is very well taken. Growing as a Christian can be very challenging as, as we live out our faith in this fallen world. Every one of us could attest to that. Every one of us have challenges on a daily basis, whether we are older adults or middle-aged or young adults or even young people in school, in, at every level in school. It, it, it is very challenging. It's very difficult at times. And sometimes we'll wa- we wonder if I'm even going to make it through all of the challenges that I have to deal with in my life. And every one of us have different challenges. I heard someone r- recently describe it this way. He says, he, he says there, there's this difficult season. It's called life. Uh, for the Christian before this season, not so bad. 
And after this season, definitely not so bad. It's the part in the middle, this season of life. You begin it by being born into it, and you enter naked and often held up by your feet and spanked on your backside, and you cry, and you begin this season called life. (laughs) And we have that season all the way through our life. But as a Christian, when that season's over, we're in glory. Everything's great then. But during this season that every single one of us is in, there is a lot of trials and difficulties. There's a lot of blessings and joy. There's a lot of dark days and problems. Maybe some of you, when you became a Christian, somebody promised you that that you would enjoy this life of no problems whatsoever. Everything's going to be a better rosy. You just trust Jesus. You ask Jesus to be your Savior. Everything's going to be beautiful. It's going to be sunshine, and you're not going to have any more problems in your life. You become a Christian, and, and everything will be great. Well, it doesn't take you very long, and you say, well, well that didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't work out that way. I still have problems. I still have trials. Well, see, we're still in that season that the other writer said is called life. And so, yes, we're going to have these trials, and we're going to have the difficulties, and we're going to have the sorrows. It's part of being born in in a sin-filled world with a sin nature. And so if anybody told you that, they just flat out lied to you because that's not the way it is. In fact, Paul is very pointed In this letter in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that we'll study a little bit later on, he says in verse 12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He didn't say you might suffer persecution. He didn't say it it, it might happen once in a while. No, he says you will suffer persecution if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that every one of us in this room today wants to live godly In Christ Jesus, we want to glorify Christ. We want others to see the Savior that we love and that we long to be with. And so our text today can be arranged into three pointed actions to remember as we journey through this season that is called life. These these verbal phrases are power on, pass on, and press on. Three things, power on, pass on, and press on. So I want us to take time and look at each one of them individually. So first, as we journey through the difficult times of the season of life, which often include facing hardships for our faith in Jesus Christ, number one, power on by grace. Power on by grace. You see, Paul says there, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 1 is a reminder that the Christian strength lies not in his or her own ability, but it, but, but it, it, it rather our strength comes from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so we are to power on by grace, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong, in other words, is what we're saying. Be, be strengthened in your life, in the journey that you're going through by the grace of God. Now remember that Paul is writing this particular letter from a hole in the ground, a dungeon prison in Rome. He is awaiting execution by the administrator of the Roman Caesar Nero, the infamous persecutor of the Christians in that century. Paul knows 
has known for a long time now that not very long my head's going to get cut off. They're going to come and pull me out of this hole and they're going to take my head off. He knew that's coming when he was writing this. Do you think he knows something of what it means to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? I mean, how would you like to wake up every morning or wake up in the middle of the night or thinking about it before you go to sleep at night? If you could even go to sleep, any moment they're going to come and cut my head off. It's all going to be over. I think he knew what it meant to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He is continually being strengthened in that grace, and he appeals to Timothy now, referring to himself, referring to him affectionately for the second time, my son, my son, Timothy. The first time was back up in chapter 1 and verse 2. But he refers to Timothy this way twice in his first letter to Timothy, also in 1 Timothy, we, we saw it two times. My son. So perhaps Paul had, had led Timothy to faith in, in Christ Jesus during the first missionary journey. We don't know whether Paul actually led him to the Lord or whether he just took him under his wing. We know that he did that and mentored him in this area of ministry and being a missionary. But for, for whatever reason, Paul looks at Timothy affectionately as my son. And, and, and I'm sure that Timothy thought of Paul as his father in the faith. So power on by grace. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Don't try to be strengthened in the wrong ways. And, and there are wrong ways to think about how we are, to, are strengthened as Christians. I like the way that, that Tony Morita put it in his book. He said, our strength is not in how long we have been a Christian. It's not in how much we know about the Bible. It's not in how long we have been in ministry. Our strength, this very moment, is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Our strength is derived from our union with Jesus and is supercharged by our daily communion with Jesus. So why should we pray daily? Why should we read the word of God daily? So that our faith will be supercharged, so that we can live through the trials and the problems and the difficulties of this journey of life in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, God gives you and me the strength that flows from our saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so think about this, to the degree we think about our union with Christ and to the degree we depend upon the strength that comes from Christ, we will be strengthened by grace. In other words, if you don't spend any time at all during the week thinking about Christ and your fellowship with him, and his love for you, and, and growing in your, your, your love for him, and reading his word, and spend time praying, you will have no grace in the midst of your trials. And, and oftentimes people say, well, I just don't know how to handle my trials. I don't know how I can go through this. I got so many problems, and, and we get all worked up and all stressed out, and all of the problems that come from that. Well, how close are you walking to Jesus? Well, I go to church every week. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about daily. Are you depending daily upon your relationship with Jesus? 
That's where your strength comes from. So you and I must consciously depend upon the grace of our Lord. Now, why be strengthened? I mean, really, why, why be strengthened at all? What's the point of this? What, why is Paul even talking about that? Well, you remember, probably most of us in here are old enough to remember. Well, I think they still have them going on. But Rocky Balboa. Remember that first Rocky movie that ever came out? And then what do they got now? Maybe 27 or 28 or... <laughs> I lost track after a while. I, I only watched the first one. And then the next ones just didn't, didn't, didn't get it for me. But I remember that watching that first one. And the eye was the, the, the eye of the, the lion, the, mu, the, the music. Tiger, tiger. The eye of the tiger, that music was playing, you know. And makes you want to get out there and run, doesn't it? Even as an old man, I'm thinking, just give me that glass of eggs. I'll drink down two eggs, and I'll have, the, I'll have his body, you know. And I can conquer anything. But I remember watching that. Him drinking those two eggs and raw eggs that he broke in the glass. Remember that? And then he put on his sweatsuit, and he went out, and he ran in the cold Philadelphia uh, streets and, and, and sweat and the steam pouring off of him. And, and why did he do all of that? Because he was straining for a fight. Christians are always in Rocky Balboa mode. Or we should be. I mean, really. You know, we, we, we don't have to drink the raw eggs. You can cut that out if you want. But, but we have to take in the food of God's word. And we have to depend upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ through prayer. We train every moment of our life so that when the fight is on, we are in shape. We are ready to face the battle. And the thing is, if you cheat in the dark of the night, you'll get found out when you get in the ring and you get found out when you're facing the battles and the trials and the hardships. We weren't equipped. We weren't ready because we didn't spend our time when everything was going good to grow in grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've got to train for that battle. We get ready for that day by dependent upon the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, reading his word, communing with him regularly through prayer, listening to him and being led by him. So when you're weak, you power on by, by pausing and consciously depending upon the grace that is in Christ Jesus and you will be strong. You may battle persecution for your faith this very week. Maybe somebody's going to ridicule you this week or tease you or say, say maybe somebody's going to avoid you because of, of, uh, of your, your desire to live for Jesus or maybe they'll shame you. Uh, you keep dependent upon the grace of the Lord during those times. You may face some kind of personal discouragement, some health crisis or financial challenge this week. 
You may feel like the devil is after you, trying to discourage you by throwing all kind of darts at you, darts like fear and anxiety and worry and concern for a wayward child or a missed opportunity or, or a particular failure of some kind in your life. What do we do? We press on. We power on by grace. Look to Jesus Christ and depend upon his empowering and his enabling grace to be strong and to feel yourself getting stronger. The second thing that we see is we to pass on the gospel. In verse 2, he says, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So verse 2 is a reminder that Christians are not simply to soak up truth for themselves. They are to pass it on. If we just come here and we listen to it and we say, wow, that's great, I, I, I'm, I'm glad I was there, but we, we don't show anybody around us during the week the love of Christ. We don't tell them about the message that we hear, about the truths that we hear. We don't invite them to church. They don't see anything in our life. We failed. We need to be passing on the truth that we learn. And so when Paul mentions all things that you have heard from me, he is referring primarily to the gospel there, the gospel teaching in all their fullness. It's much like what we, we read last week in, in verses 13 and 14 of, uh, of chapter 1. If you look just back up there a little bit in, um, in chapter 1, verse... 13 and 14. I don't see that. Oh, there it is. Chapter 1, verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have, which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who indwells us. So Paul is saying, be careful with the gospel. Don't mess with it. Don't bend it. Don't color outside of the lines. You remember we used that illustration last week? We don't do any of that. We guard it. We keep it. But by keeping it, Paul does not mean keep it to yourself. He means keep it from being altered. Keep it in its purest form. And now Paul adds here in verse 2 of chapter 2, you see that? You are to pass it on to others, pass on the gospel. The things you have heard from me among many witnesses. And, and, and this may be a reference to Paul's public preaching ministry or his public teaching ministry. There, there were many who witnessed that, witnessed it all over Ephesus, um, they, they, faithful followers like uh, Onesephorus, for example. And so Paul, Paul says, commit these, these things, these gospel teaching, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That we are to reproduce as a church. It's great to come in here and sit and listen to Bible teaching, but that's not what we are about we, are, we were given one, one commission, and that is to make disciples. In other words, we're to lead people to Jesus Christ. We're to make disciples, baptize them, teaching them all things. And so, yes, this is part of it, but we go out to share the gospel, the good news, to pass it on to others. 
Imagine in your mind a runner passing a baton, you know, in a marathon or in a, in a relay race. Um, you know, if you're running a relay race, you've got to be very careful with that baton. You, you, can't, let it, you can't let it drop. And, and, and you can't carefully pass it on to the next runner. I remember doing that. I, the, the only track event that I ran was the 400 relay. And so there was a section of time that when that runner's coming up beside you, you take off running, and that baton has to be passed in that certain area. It's marked off, and you're reaching your hand back, and he's reaching it forward, and ideally your hand goes back and you grab it and you come forward with all the strength to move on. And you've got to be very careful because if you drop that baton, in the few seconds it takes you to bend over and pick that up and get running again, it's probably going to cost you the race. You're going to lose in those few seconds. So Paul is like, Timothy, I have entrusted to your safekeeping the gospel in its purest form. Now take it. Take it now like a baton and pass it on to the next runner after you. After all, Paul writes later in chapter 4, I'm getting ready to die I have finished the race. So take the baton, Timothy. Take it and move forward. Paul, Paul, Paul passes on the baton of the gospel to Timothy, and he tells him to pass it on to future generation. There, there are four, four generations there in verse, verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So listen, Christian leaders are not just to take in the teaching for themselves. They are to reproduce themselves by investing in others, by multiplying their ministry, by discipling others in the truest sense. And I'm I'm so, so convinced and convicted about this matter of multiplication and reproducing of ourselves that we're going to come back to this verse at some time in the future And we're going to do message just on this verse and what it is for us as a church to be reproducing, to be reaching other people. And we're going going to talk about passing on the baton of the gospel as, as members of Bible Fellowship Church, making disciples who make disciples, multiplying, reproducing ourselves, passing on the gospel to future generations as together we build the kingdom of God. And so we are to pass, power on and pass on, power on by the grace, pass on by the gospel. And then the third thing today is press on for God in verses three to seven. You, you can't help but see this, this, this call for pressing on in verse three and following. And, and the three pictures are self-explanatory. He uses three, three analogies to illustrate the call of pressing on when facing hardships and difficulties in the gospel. Press on in three ways. Number one is to press on as a soldier. Press on as a soldier. Many of you in this room today have served our country, and we thank you for that as a soldier. Um, and, and, and I mean that in a general term, whether it was Marines or, or Army or Navy or Air Force or National Guard or whatever it is, but you have served. And, and he says, and you understand what he's saying. And, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, that just makes sense, doesn't it? We're in a battle. 
We live in an imperfect world. We live in a fallen world because of sin. And, and we battle all the time. We battle our enemy, Satan. We battle temptation in, a, in our lives on a re- regular basis. And especially in this context, we battle as we suffer persecution for faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was doing. And, and so endure hardship as a good soldier. Don't be a bad soldier. Don't lay down in the face of the battle. Don't run away from the battle. It might be scary. It might be difficult. You might, you, you might not be able to catch your breath, but you, you press on in a battle. You don't lay down. You don't crumble and come apart during battle. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You press on. And then Paul gives Timothy the main, the main key to, to, to soldiering on in, in verse 4. He says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And so no good soldier on duty for his country is half committed to the battle. A good soldier is all in, totally focused on the battle before him. He has a, has a singular purpose as he fights aiming to please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And so Paul is like, you be that soldier. Aim to please the Lord who enlisted you as a soldier in the Christian faith. Don't be half committed, entangling yourselves with the affairs of this world. Don't try to live for Jesus and live for the world at the same time. Don't compromise. Don't try to to have it both ways, a a life of purity and and faithfulness before Jesus and, and also a life of impurity and sin when you think maybe he's not watching. This verse is similar to what James says in James chapter 4. In verse 4, adulterers and adulteress, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world, make himself an enemy of God. Or, or John says in 1 John uh, 2 in, in verses 15 to 19, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes... The pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And so feed your soul with the food of the gospel, not with junk food, the things of this world. Be committed to Christ and the battle of faith. Don't give in. Press on as a soldier. The second picture is press on as an athlete. So, so we alluded to this earlier when we, we talked about Rocky Balboa training for the fight. And the image here, again, in verse 5 is, And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So like, the, like an athlete competing in, in any games, but like in the Olympic games, remember that no one wins if he cheats compete according to the rules. And we know from, from past experiences, looking back at some of the, the last Olympics that have gone on, last several Olympics, how many athletes are disqualified because they do not compete according to the world. I mean, who knows how many there are. Athletes who were trying to game the system, cheating, breaking the rules by, by filling their bodies with steroids and, and trying to cheat in some other way. Well, they, they don't win in the end. They get found out, and they are shamed 
in the end before the whole world. And so you don't, you don't want to be shamed in the end. And so press on as a good athlete. Obey the rules of the Christian faith. Obey the, the word of God in every way as you run the race that is set before you so that you can say later on, like Paul says in chapter 4 and verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Obey the rules of the Christian life. The Bible is, is your training manual. It is your, your rule book. If you've got to, if you've got to know what, what it, it, you, you have to know what it says in order to compete by the rules, right? If you don't know what it says, then you're not going to be able to compete, compete like the, the rule book says. So in order to know what, what it says, you've got to read it. Get familiar with it. Live your life according to the Word of God. And then the final one is press on as a farmer. Probably the hardest working people on earth are farmers. I mean, they're up before daylight. Uh, they work all day long. They work in the hot sun. They work in the, in, in the rain. They, they work in all kind of weather. And they work until the sun's down. And many of them, if it's harvest time or even plowing and stuff like that, they got lights on their tractors and, they, and they're running all night long. All day, all night, they're just out there working. And Paul uses this imagery to describe the Christian life. In, in verse 6, he says, the, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. And so be faithful like a hardworking farmer. And if you are faithful, there's a reward. A reward. The hardworking farmer is the first to partake of the crops. And, and that, that makes sense, doesn't it? And so, in fact, there are, there are th- all three of these metaphors contain a reward for faithfulness. The faithful soldier is rewarded with victory. The faithful athlete received a victor's crown. And the faithful farmer is first to enjoy the harvest. And so you be faithful and God will reward you in due time. Don't be lazy. Don't try to take shortcuts. Be faithful and God will reward you in due time. Now, Paul does, does something really cool here. He says, in essence, he said, I want you right now to stop and consider what I have been saying. Just stop and let the word do its work in you. You see that there in verse 7. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all these things. So he teaches them all this, and then he said, Timothy, just stop for a minute and think about this. Consider it. The NIV says, reflect on what I am saying for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. The, the, the New Living Translation says, think about what I am saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. J.B. Phillips, uh, in his, his um, uh, translation, says, consider these three illustrations of mine, and the Lord will help you to understand all that I mean. I love this. How, how, how important it is. It is for us when we study the Word of God to just stop and think about what we read. Whether it's one verse or a chapter or, or, or five chapters or however much that when we finish and we, we pray at the end of reading our Bible, we ask God, help me to understand what I just read. Speak to my heart. Paul's like, Timothy, stop for a moment. Put the letter down now and just pause. Close your eyes and consider what I've just said about faithfulness. 
if you'll do this, the Lord will give you understanding. And so maybe even partway through your Bible reading, if there's something, you just stop and you close your eyes for a little bit and say, Lord, help me to understand this. Apply this to my life. See, one of the reasons many, many of us say that we don't understand the Word of God is because we don't stop long enough to consider what we had just read. It's just something we check off of our list. Got that done today. On to the next thing. I shaved. I brushed my teeth. I took my shower. I got, you know, and we just go on. We don't even think about it. If we will stop and think and meditate upon the Word, the Lord will give us understanding. So right now, just stop and think about what you have heard what we've said today. It's a beautiful song that I want to end with that, that, that we don't sing very much in our day today, but it's a tremendous song. Thou my everlasting portion, more than friend or life to me. All along my pilgrim journey, Savior, let me walk with thee. Close to thee, close to thee, close to thee, close to thee. All along my pilgrim journey, Savior, let me walk with thee. Not for ease, or worldly pleasure, nor for fame my prayer shall be. Gladly will I toil and suffer. Only let me walk with thee. Close to thee, close to thee, close to thee, close to thee. Gladly will I toil and suffer. Only let me walk with thee. Lead me through the veil of shadows. Bear me o'er life's fitful sea. Then the gate of life eternal. May I enter, Lord, with thee. Close to thee, close to thee, close to thee, close to thee, then the gate of life eternal. May I enter, Lord, with thee. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.